Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 524 on Tuesday, the 9th of May, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. And yes, for hopefully the last week, I mean, fingers are crossed here, um, then then I, I'm, I'm on my own. Uh, his lordship is getting there. Uh, he sent me an audio clip yesterday just to prove that he wasn't faking it. And you, you know when you go to, a, you, you know when you see this footage on TV of an Elvis convention and there are some... Elvis impersonators who are just too Elvis. Bear with me on this. This was like the equivalent, but at a Whispering Bob Harris convention. So he's getting there, but he's still very much at the the whispery stage. Next week, if you're really lucky, he'll be at the Mariella Frostrop sexiness stage. But um, I think it's going to probably take more than than just uh, than just an elevating coffee coffee sickness to actually do that. And the great thing is he's watching and he's sending me messages as we go along. Uh, so I can just see his reaction to that. And you don't, and I'm not going to repeat it, uh, to be perfectly honest. Anyway, enough faffing about. Uh, this week, uh, this week, there's more Dieselgate. There are more new car registration figures. And there is probably very soon going to be even less arrival. Um, but let's get on with it and get straight into the follow-up. Uh, follow-up, we talked about... Uh, we talked on the 4th of April about uh, former Audi CEO uh, Rupert Stadler and the fact that he was that the judge was telling him he really had to make a full confession or, or go to go to jail. Well, they've decided that he's going to make a full confession. In return for making a full concession full confession about his role in Dieselgate, uh, he will get a suspended sentence and a payment of 1.1. Uh, and have to make a payment of $1.1 million. He will not receive it. Uh, so, so yes, in return for that, he'll get a, a suspended sentence uh, rather than having to go to jail for one and a half to two years. Uh, Audi has declined to comment, by the way, saying it wasn't a party to the trial, although I bet it was watching it like hawks. Other people who've been on trial uh, with, with, with Stadler, uh, as we said before, Wolfgang Hatz, former uh, head engine development uh, at Audi, uh, who then went on to become Volkswagen Group's top engineer, uh, and the ex-diesel engine manager Giovanni Pamio. Uh, and there's one last former engineer uh, who turned state witness and is named only as Henning L. Uh, so yes, that probably I don't know. Well, I'm sure we'll find out that the I'm sure the confession will be along very shortly. Uh, but until then, it, I. Th- I'd love to say I think that that marks an end to this chapter of Dieselgate. I think once the confession comes out, it will be. I don't think it'll be the end. I don't think we'll see the end for quite quite some time. One other piece of follow-up um, arrival. They put out a, a statement the other week that accompanied need a, a, a 6K port form um, about... Uh, all about their, their assets and, and sort of tax-related, financial-related stuff. It said the very strange, the strange thing in there uh, was basically it says, yeah, uh, what's in here might not. Uh, we apologise for the delay in this. Obviously, it was meant at the end of at the end of December. Yeah, we don't really have any people uh, left to do it. We don't have enough people to do this and do the fundraising we need at, at the same time. So, so yeah, it, it's a bit, it's a bit late, and also we're not very good. Uh, at our internal controls over financial reporting, um, so so yeah, we'll we, we'll sort it out, but we don't really have anyone to do it right at the minute. Really, quite strange. Really, highly un, unusual. But uh, I'm glad we don't see tech companies firing people uh, all willy nilly and not thinking about the the, the consequences 
uh, of of that, uh, even a short distance down the line, just because they're not doing something which appears on your desk every every day, does not mean that they're not doing anything uh, valuable or useful for the the health and well being of the company. Uh, anyway, enough lecturing from me. Uh, let's head in to new news. Um, and a first story, of course, are the SMMT new car registration figures uh, for April 2023. Uh, SMMT say new car market records ninth consecutive month of growth, up 11.6%. And, and it is, it's up 11.6% on the equivalent month last year. Uh, it's up way up on the year before, still down 17.4%. Uh, on on 2019 figures. So battery electric vehicles taking up a significant market share these days, uh, especially when you when uh, when you look at it by the the sort of Tristan Young fuel you put into the car uh, analysis. Obviously, you can find more of his work uh, over at uh, Broker News. Uh, so uh, essentially, the breakdown is petrol makes up 70% near as darn it uh, of vehicles. Of, of new cars registered battery electric vehicles 15.43 percent diesel a mere 8.18 and plug-in hybrid hybrid electric vehicles uh 6.43 percent uh in total that makes 627,250 vehicles so the top 10 uh number 10 the mini uh 2304 uh number nine the mgzs 2335 goodness me um number eight ford fiesta only one registration ahead of the mgzs number seven volkswagen turok uh number six the nissan qashqai uh, number five the audi a3 number four the hyundai tucson uh number three the kia sportage number two the Vauxhall Corsa. and number one the uh, the heir to the Fiesta's crown, I think, the Ford Puma, 3,570. Not a big spread. Remember, April's not generally a very big month uh, for new car registrations because, of course, everybody sort of tries to squeeze it all into March so they can get the new registration figure. Year-to-date, the very top is the Vauxhall Corsa with 14,034. Uh, number two is the Nissan Qashqai. Number three is the Ford Puma. Uh, at 13,128. Spreadsheet of doom, very quickly. Not a lot of doom there. Um, not a huge amount. I mean, most most companies are up by, by a few percent. Uh, there's a couple that are down a smidgen, uh, but not, a, not an awful lot. I'm not going to go through all of them um, because it's it's not very interesting uh but the especially when it's just one person doing it uh but but who are the the big moves and shakers is uh, the big increase of, of the month is tesla last april they registered 118 vehicles uh this april they, they registered 1813 so they're up 1400 percent uh but that doesn't really mean much because the tesla's up and down bouncing uh, which has happened for the last few years. It's it's sort of like, it, it, it's like a sine wave, uh, essentially. The, 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 depends when the boats come in. Other big markers and big ups, Cupra, DS, MG's up 85%, Polestar, obviously, some of the smaller brands. Uh, but Volkswagen up 60%, for example. So there seems to be a, a bit of a relief in some of the supply chain issues that were still hampering them, uh, still hampering them last year. Uh, similarly, Porsche up 74%, uh, Audi up a mere 15 Okay, let's move on. Uh, and yes, we're back to Volkswagen again. So one of the big uh, 
pieces of Volkswagen news that came out uh, just the other day is that uh, Volkswagen is to is to clear and cull all but one of the executive board members at uh, Carryad. So Carryad, remember, uh, I'm sure you know, is the software division of Volkswagen. Uh, it's having all sorts of issues, discovering that software is quite hard, really. That's delaying entire models, uh, including the Porsche e-Macan and the Audi Q6 e-tron. And uh, yeah, so they're going to have, have a culling of, of the board. Uh, all but one, and the one person who's going to survive is the unit's head of personnel. Fair enough. That seems a bit rough. But uh, but on the other hand, the, the people who are on the board are probably the people that he didn't have a say in, in appointing. Um, so, so yes, a uh, person who's, who's planned to take over is Peter Bosch, who's head of engineering, I think, I don't have it in front of me, uh, engineering, I think, at Bentley. Uh, so this is, this is where he's, he's moving to. So good luck to him. I mean, this is, pardon me, head of production at Bentley. This is a poison chalice. I mean, if they can make this work, then you'll be a hero. Uh, but... You know, I, I saw a thing during the week, and it was someone commenting that it was it was probably easier now for a software company to become a car manufacturer than it is for a car manufacturer to write software. And I think that might be. There's a couple of things in there. I think one is is culturally, there's a different culture around around from software companies compared to actual. Uh, physical manufacturing and also the fact that it's much easier to get help with the physical stuff the physical stuff can be controlled by the software but the but the software can't be controlled by the the, the physical stuff so i mean you can go if you're a software company you can go along can under you can hire in expertise around the around the mechanics you can go to to ricardo you can go to 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 stay you can go to any of these companies and, and you can get help with all that stuff. But the knowledge of software, the way software works and stuff is, is very, very different. But I think from that end, it's probably easier to come from there into manufacturing. There are more tangible tangibles in, 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 in physical manufacturing than there are in software creation. And I, don't th and I think that if you're used to those physical tangibles, then, then I think it's, it's a far bigger jump to go the other way. I think that was a lot of consultancy waffle just there, but never mind. Uh, I'm going to pretend it made perfect sense, uh, just like just about everybody else does. But um, but no, I, I, I yeah, I, I do think there's, there's a mindset thing. It's not just a knowledge thing; it's a mindset thing. But supposedly there's two software experts, possibly from outside Volkswagen uh, or from outside Volkswagen, who who will be joining, who will be joining Peter Bosch. So that that is a change. Hopefully, it's enough because he seems like a nice guy, and it would be a shame to. To see Carriad um, bump him off in the way that it, that it's essentially bumped off the last two two Volkswagen CEOs. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely Volkswagen's big problem child right at the minute. Speaking of people getting help with EVs, uh, Aston Martin uh, has recruited uh, a couple of people uh, from both uh, from both Ferrari and Rimac to strengthen the, the management team. Uh, so uh, Paul Thomas is going to be the battery electric vehicle chief engineer, uh, which also covers plug-in hybrid vehicles. That's a newly created position position for him. Deliveries of the Valhalla plug-in hybrid supercar will start uh, next year. Full electric car, twenty twenty-five, and he comes. He is he is ex ex Rimac. 
uh, up until uh, February 2022. The other person who's who's been appointed is the Chief Industrial Officer, uh, who will oversee all of the manufacturing operations. Um, and he is Vincenzo Regazzoni. Uh, he, let, he was Chief Manufacturing Officer at Ferrari uh, up until 2022, uh, and he's been doing consultancy and advisory work for Aston Martin since then. Other person that's joining Aston Martin is uh, Giorgio Lasagni. Uh, he's going to be Chief Procurement Officer, and again, uh, he worked for Ferrari for seven years, dropped out of the automotive industry in 2007, uh, and he actually joined Aston Martin in January. So quite serious senior appointments there to oversee, to tweak, to transform uh, both manufacturing and also sourcing the parts for manufacturing. Because, of course, if you don't have the bits, you can't build anything. Uh, other news from UK-based uh, manufacturing, uh, automotive manufacturers... Uh, London Electric Vehicle Company, yes, makers of the black cab, they are going to move mainstream. Uh, by mainstream, that means more than just uh, black cab-based cabs and uh, and vans. They're going to launch a range of vans and MPVs um, in the future. So the I, they've got a new platform that they've developed. It's called SOA. And they're going to use that as a basis for uh, a bunch of F-segment models. Uh, now, I have trouble imagining what F-segment looks like. Uh, so Autocar, obviously story linked uh, in the show notes, uh, saying it's it's above the Citroen E-Space Tourer and the Volkswagen Multivan. So it's a little bit bigger than the sort of Caravelle size. It's essentially biggest veto to smallest sprinter type size zone. Uh, the whole idea of this platform is flexibility. So it will allow for vehicles to say between 4.86 meters and 5.95 meters long, which is alarmingly specific. So I imagine that's a round number of feet um, with wheelbases from 3 to 3.88 meters. Uh, points out here that 3.8 meters is larger than a standard size sprinter. So that's really quite a, a large van. Passenger based vehicles will have air suspension. Uh, uh, freight goods vehicles uh, will have uh, will probably have leaf springs at the rear instead of uh, instead of the multi-link. Um, so this is this is interesting. Um, it's interesting on a couple of levels to to me. I mean, I, oh, oh by the way, all of these are going to be going to be electric. There's going to be variants up to 536 horsepower um, with a ridiculous zero to 62 time. Um, battery packs from. Uh, from 226 miles of range to 359, although not if you're doing 0 to 62s um, at the same speed as sports cars. Everything's going to have a heat pump, charging 10 to 80% to take 30 minutes, blah, 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 blah. Lots of really good stuff there. What I think this is inter- why I think this is interesting is this will give Geely, a, uh, Geely and LEVC a range of commercial vehicles from the the taxi-based vans, the TX-based based vans up the way, this will give a, a one-stop shop for urban battery electric vehicles. Uh, well, battery electric commercial vehicles, and also if you're going into, uh, and also for, with the, the, the taxi and then the, the passenger vehicles here, then again for the chauffeur livery sort of um, style setup, you're, even your... Um, even your Addison Lee style style uh, sort of posh minicabs, um, it, it's opening up that space because 
and and that should be quite a market, not just in the UK, but I think, but I think right across across Europe, uh, Far East. I I don't know. So I think it's it's in it's interesting from from that point of view. I'm not even going to go. There's a there's a image that's been included. I guess because there's a paucity of other images uh, in the Autocar story, which is shows sort of different levels of architecture from physical through to so through to software and cloud. Um, uh, apps and services, which just like, fingernails down a blackboard for me. Uh, the showing that we're not even going to go into that. I'm I'm sure it's, it's I'm sure it's great and everything, but it it's yeah. Show me the integration when it works, huh? Uh, so yes, lots of things, lots of bullish, lots of bullish claims being made there. Don't really know what anything looks like other than it's kind of shadowy, probably with a strip light around the front, um, and, and that's about that. But it's. It's. I think it's an interesting concept. Uh, I think it's going to be going to be good to see just where that goes. One last story before guilt minute, and uh, that's the Glasgow low emission zone. Um, this I have not really seen this reported on much, and I, I, I've sort of seen a couple of things, and I've sort of side eyed them and, and and stepped away a little bit because I just couldn't couldn't find very much about it. But it's it's worth talking about. Um, it comes into force on the 1st of June, and it will be the first zone in the UK to ban drivers of older, more polluting cars from entering the zone. Um, uses the same standards as London ULEs um, and Bristol and Birmingham's clean air zones. Um, but if you have a vehicle that's older than Euro 6 diesel or Euro 4 petrol, you won't be able to pay a fee to enter the zone. You will just be hit with a penalty charge. And if your vehicle is non-compliant, you'll be charged penalty of sixty pounds, uh, and that gets that gets uh, halved to a mere thirty pounds if you pay within a fortnight. But that penalty will double for each subsequent offence, whether or not you paid the first one, um, up to a maximum of four hundred and eighty pounds. Uh, if you're HGV or your bus driver, non-compliant vehicles penalty cap nine hundred and sixty pounds. Um, but in those cases, they will they will reset to sixty pounds uh, if you don't commit offence again within ninety days. It is only going to be very small. It is only going to cover about a square mile uh, of the city centre, uh, so it's not massive. Um, it's it, to be honest, it's probably an area you could quite easily and would be much better walking through, uh, even as it stands. And you know, Glasgow has has. Uh, has a subway system and all sorts of other things, which probably completely and utterly skirt the square mile, I would imagine, um, as is the way. So, but, uh, but yeah. yeah. Uh, for a long, long time, the big issue in, in Glasgow were the buses. Um, as, one, one, as, one, uh, as one colleague when we were doing some work up there said, it's, it's why are they all coal-fired? And, and they really were. They really were pretty awful. They have, of course, improved that, and they'll have to now because they'll need to uh, at least be running the new buses through the... Through this square mile and 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 shoving shoving all the older coal coal fired ones out to the out to the suburbs, which I'm I'm sure is not really what's meant to happen. Yeah, the other thing that's worth mentioning, by the way, is that uh, in Scotland cars don't last as long as they do in England, generally, um, as much because rust and everything gets to them uh, much sooner. Um, longer winters, more salt on the roads, all these kind of things. Uh, so it's not as bigger deal they tend to be slightly newer cars uh, in scotland than there are in in england um, just because the old ones don't really survive 
so yes, we'll keep an eye on that. But it seems it's quite dracon. It sounds incredibly draconian. And then you realise it is only a small part of Glasgow that you wouldn't be driving through anyway. Or at least not if you've got any common sense. Uh, but that takes us to uh, Guilt Minute. So Guilt Minute, of course, that quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thanks very much, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. That brings us to a new, new car news. A uh, couple of things, uh, it's kind of quite old car news. Uh, I, obviously, it's a bank holiday week uh, here in the UK, so nobody released anything at all on Monday. Uh, but um, yes, uh, 2023 Peugeot 2008 gets a, a new uh, EV variant and a bit of a styling refresh. Honestly, it's pretty much blink and you'll miss it on the styling refresh. You'd have to park the old and the new beside each other before I could really tell the difference. Um, but the E2008 uh, has a larger 54 kilowatt hour battery. That should give it 250 miles of range and 153 uh, brake horsepower. There's some other tweaks uh, and, and twiddles, but really the, the all-electric powertrain one is, is, is the main one. Um, it says it features a battery that's able to recharge at low speeds around, time, around town. I imagine that's just regen, uh, like anyone else has. Uh, I think what's important, and hopefully the thing that they've really worked on uh, with this new drivetrain, is the ability to predict the range that's available. Uh, that seems to be the biggest weakness uh, anytime people have driven uh, any of the, the, I almost said the PSA cars, the Stellantis cars uh, on this platform and with, the, with this drivetrain, is that it does seem to have real issues giving accurate range predictions and not just plunging wildly once you've set off uh you know obviously there's an increase in range and that's that's good but is there an increase in the ability to to predict uh what the range is is going to be it's something that the, the koreans for example are very good at um and you know even you know we talked about the trolls with carryad and volkswagen even volkswagen group vehicles are, are, are pretty good at predicting uh, at predicting the range uh, anything that's that's based on the Stellantis platform seems to have seems to have fun challenges uh, with with range prediction. So hopefully, above anything else, I think what will attract people to this would, would actually be would actually be that improvement. I mean, it's it's the two thousand and eight, so it's a nice vehicle, um, and uh, and yeah, I mean they're expecting electric Peugeot are expecting electric to be the the second highest the second highest proportion. Uh, of the sales split. So they're expecting 40% petrol, 38% electric, uh, and a mere 22% um, uh, hybrid. So, um, so yeah, I mean, they've, they've sold uh, they've sold almost 700,000 um, since 2019. So it is a key model uh, for Stellantis um, across across most of its, its markets, certainly its, its Central European markets. The other piece of new new car news we have uh, is is very much uh, new old car news. Uh, Land Rover Works have uh, released a new version, limited edition version, 
of the defender so they have taken uh defenders uh, a selection of and they have essentially rebuilt and refurbished them which means that they can sell them again obviously because they were originally registered in 2015 2016 and um and what they've done is they've they've taken uh, some 90s they've fitted the v8 engine uh, and some other tweaky upgrades and they've made what I think is pretty much the perfect spec. The only thing that stops it being the perfect spec is that the air conditioner on the front of the engine obviously pushes it out so it doesn't have the what I think of as the proper uh, flat Defender grille. Um, it, it does have that, that slight snout. But in pale grey, tweed uh, interior, uh, cream, cream roof uh, and cream, um, the, the high-capacity wheels uh, from, the, from the, the Defender 130, um, with the ones with the holes in around the edge, which I think are the nicest looking steels uh, you can get on the Land Rover. And it is a beautiful, beautiful trim. If I had my, if I had to have a Defender, someone to go out and spec a Defender, uh, then it would end up pretty close to this. Maybe I would go for a dark, a dark green or something, but but the interior, uh, as far as the, the trim I would choose, would be very, very close to this. Um, there is a fly in the ointment in all of this and that is um that is price two hundred and thirty thousand pounds for the 90 add another fifteen thousand uh, if you want it in a 110 that's quite spicy there was some debate about this uh on 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 the socials uh and i think whilst you can sit there and you can go well that's a ridiculous price and it is a ridiculous price let's not beat about the bush that what the people who are buying these and the people who want these they don't want them because they're their only transport they're not for day-to-day -day. they're buying these in the same way as they would buy a piece of art and i don't know i don't think that that's because they think they're going to you know that they're, they're going to make loads of money as an investment and thing i think you've got more money than even that if you're buying one of these it's because you want it so you can look at it so you can drive it once or twice a month um, and so that you know that you've got the sort of ultimate coolest um, coolest version of the Defender. Um, and, you know, the best, the, the, the best screwed together, the best, the best trimmed, all these kind of things. I think that that's really what, what, it's, what it's all about. Uh, by the way, power figures, just in case you care, you know, in case you're going to knock it off your list because of it, it puts out 399 brake horsepower, 380 pound-feet of torque. Uh, it'll do 0 to 62 in 5.6 seconds. That sounds terrifying, by the way. Um, so, obviously, four-wheel drive, eight-speed ZF automatic gearbox, um, two-speed transfer box as well, torque distributing center diff, um, live axles, though, <laughs> and uh, recirculating ball steering so don't expect pinpoint accuracy uh, around around the Nürburgring but no it's lovely like it I like it a lot as a thing to look at it's gorgeous and I'm sure it's hilarious uh, away from the traffic lights uh, as well but oh, goodness me that price but you if you're paying for it you feel that you're getting what you're paying for and, and that is that is the ultimate expression built by Land Rover not customized not anything else it's an official model uh, designer's mood board very quickly we talked about caterham last week or the week before it's all rolls into one these days um and they've got that you know the uh, and we talked about the factory expansion uh, and 
and all some of the other stuff that they're doing for their 50th anniversary one of the things they're doing is they're hiring a new chief designer now people in the past have joked that the easiest job in the world is to be the uh, head designer at porsche because all you do is you get the 911 you make it a bit bigger and a little bit rounder uh caterham probably even easier over the last 50 years you get the you you get the lotus 7 uh, you occasionally tweak the um you occasionally tweak the shape of the wheels of the wheel arches and wheel spats, and uh, on on one occasion you make it a little bit bigger. Uh, well, Anthony Gianarelli, uh, founder of Gianarelli Automotive, is is their new chief designer. Uh, previously, he well he boasts a career that includes jewellery, architecture, and yacht design, um, but he also uh, he also built uh, or designed and built his own um, his own model, the Design One. Um, which is a fine-looking machine, by the way, and it, it's it's a, it's a modern sports car, but lots and lots of classic design cues. I mean, if you look at it, you can see bits and pieces of of F forty, of Cobra, of um, uh, of some early early Lotus, uh, Marcos, all sorts of all sorts of inspiration in there, and, and I guess that that's the kind of thing that he's. Um, that, that, that they're looking to, to to bring on into catering. He's not joining the company properly. He'll be working uh, uh, as a, a consultant with the, along with CEO Bob Leishley, um, but to try to shape a design language for future products uh, beyond the existing seven model range. Who remembers the Caterham 21? Anyone? No? Yeah, just me. But yes, very cool. Uh, I that I think that that... I look forward to seeing what's what comes out of this. I once saw a Caterham 21 on the road, by the way. At the Hammersmith J Rotary of all places, um, bright orange and uh, and I di- I did a double take, really did. Um, so yeah, but that was a long time ago, and of course yeah, didn't get a picture, did I? Because that was it was it was long enough ago that I probably wasn't carrying an iPhone, uh, and so the picture cam the picture quality from my uh, from my Nokia brick would would not have been up to it. So yeah, that's one of my top car spots. That one. Keep your veyron. on. Let's do something really rare. Uh, so let's move on into points of interest now. Uh, the stu- So this week's uh, lunchtime read is more of a lunchtime tour and a lunchtime browse. Uh, it is the online version of the Sir William Lyons Centenary Exhibition. It's from the Jaguar Heritage Trust. Uh, there's a link in the show notes to this. And what this gives you is an interactive, uh, browsable uh, view of, of of the exhibition you can play the you can you can see the video you see the multimedia stuff you can admire the exhibits you can you can read all the text it's uh it's really beautifully presented um and uh and well worth well worth your time and well worth a bit, bit of a browse and it starts right off from uh swallow sidecars in in blackpool um right the way through um it's the the, the sort of the the e the saloons e type and and on so uh, so really interesting uh, really well worth uh, some of your time list of the week this week uh, comes from Top Gear magazine it comes from friend of the show uh, Alex Goy uh, who obviously and this is our this is our only nod to the coronation as well it's it's ten alternative cars for King Charles the Third's coronation procession and it runs through some of the people who were in the in in the procession and uh and some of the royals and what kind of vehicles uh they could have chosen instead which would i have oh tough i i think i would be um 
uh, I I would be I would be taking down Princess Anne uh, for for you know rugby tackling her uh, for a chance to try the vanquish shooting break, uh, uh, which is is on the list there. Um, obviously, she's, she's synonymous with a certain shooting break um, British vehicle, uh, which shall not be named. Uh, and uh, and yeah, so this 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 makes a lot of sense uh, for for that. So so yeah. And that's what I would have. Have a little bit of a look through because Alex says some of the choices are suitably, uh, suitably off the wall. Some of them they might even own already, to be perfectly honest, in at least one case. Um, but yeah. Which brings us to the and finally, and this is an absolute cracker. So so yeah, thanks to Andrew for finding this particular one. Um, it is on YouTube and it's from the BBC archive and it's three minutes fifty something. Um, of driverless cars and the future of motoring, uh, presented in a suitably 1971 BBC uh, BBC RP uh, manner, um, and uh, they're at the Road Research Lab Laboratory in in Berkshire, which is which is now TRL, isn't it? Thatcham, I think. It's probably now Thatcham. Yes, it's talking about uh, about basically road tolling. Um, and you know, charging per mile and stuff, um, and sort of tracking which cars are where. Uh, they also talk about, and this one I, I really liked, were were experiments about how to board the Channel Tunnel and 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 could people drive happily through essentially long narrow tunnels, um, which are uh, a building which are basically pretending to be Channel Tunnel carriages. Uh, you know, and how quickly can they? You know, what's what, what's the best boarding process? What's all these things? They're trying all this stuff out in nineteen in nineteen seventy one, stating that you know, of course, you should be able to take the tunnel uh, from nineteen seventy eight, uh, which didn't turn out to be the case. I think that's at least fifteen years too early. I forget when the Channel Tunnel opened. Um, but yes, uh, but even back then, and, and when you look at the buildings that they put up, these temporary buildings, that you think, no, that actually from the inside. That looks a lot like a Channel Tunnel carriage. Uh, you know, what, 20-odd years earlier? Uh, last but not least, of course, there's a little bit about driverless cars because everybody has to talk about driverless cars. Uh, and it shows... Uh, uh, if you think that on-vehicle radar is a bit bulky and obvious nowadays, just wait till you see what they've strapped to the front of this Cortina. Um and uh and yes it's, it's being pointed out to me that they are about as accurate now um in the predictions about about driverless cars as they were in 1971 and yeah no comment so yes but that's really i mean that's three and a half minutes of your time well worth it uh it's it's great for its its obvious britishness uh in its presentation and also and also just just what's what what was being done and thought about and how you can relate that to to what's happening now or what still hasn't happened yet that's pretty much it as i said hopefully um i will not be just sitting here talking to myself uh, next week so much easier to speak to someone else rather than just myself and the camera here but between now and next week you can give it give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram on facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. 
Uh, best way to get in touch with me is to use Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. Same on Mastodon as well. And similarly for Andrew, best way to get in touch is to search for Cracked Windscreen on Twitter and Mastodon. We'll be back very soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. He, the sort of text that's occasionally appeared on my screen, uh, has been Andrew Clues. And in the meantime, safe motoring. <laughs>